Thank you for listening to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Podcast. To find out more about the SCF community, listen to sermons, and upcoming events, visit us at shanghaifellowship.org. All right, welcome everybody to the third week in this Advent series. Now, uh, not sure when you'll be watching this, but uh, this is the third week of Advent in 2023. Now, of course, I know I'm talking to some people who are watching it during the week of Advent, third week of Advent 2023. Either way, whether you're aligned with us uh, you know, in real time or you, this is sometime later, welcome to the Shanghai Community Fellowship YouTube channel and our teaching series uh, here uh, on, on this channel. And again, we're going through an Advent series together. That Advent series is called, this Advent series is called, We Shall Behold Him. And as, of course, as we know, and we've been talking about this, that Advent is all, of, all about uh, the coming of Jesus. It's, the, it's actually the beginning of the Christian calendar year. Maybe you didn't even know there was such a thing as the Christian calendar. And there is. Uh, it follows some of the major um, events in the life of Christ and in the, the life of the church, as we remember these events and the stories that are told about these events in the Bible, in the New Testament. And so as we go through the year, we remember these uh, times in the life of Christ and in the life of the church. And at the beginning of the year is Advent. This is the beginning where we uh, remember his coming and also the fact that, of course, his coming is something that has already happened, which is the Christmas story that we celebrate, at least the Christmas story that the Christian community celebrates. By now, as we all know, there's a secular Christmas story that involves Santa Claus, although Santa has does have spiritual uh, uh, associations. But, but anyway, um, this is the Advent story, the remembering that Jesus came. Also that he is coming again. Really interesting, as I spent some time with this, really in the history of Advent, probably the emphasis was more on the coming of Jesus yet to come and less on the celebration of his birth. Uh, I think for many modern-day 21st century Christians even, we are usually more wrapped up in, no pun intended, um, in the remembering of the first coming of Jesus. Okay, all right, enough about that. Third coming, however, is something that we can always talk about, and that is the fact that Jesus is coming right now. Jesus is alive and present, and he continues to come to us right now by his Spirit. More about that in a moment. He comes, he comes to us today. And this is something that John, the Apostle John, the John, sometimes called John the Beloved, and if you uh, get familiar with the New Testament, you're going to realize there's several people named John. Uh, so you've got to get your uh, different Johns, uh, 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 you know, distinguished from one from another. This is John the Beloved, the disciple, the brother of James. And he is the author of the Gospel of John there in your New Testament. The letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, all bearing his name, and uh, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. There's some really cool connections between, especially the Gospel of John and the last book of the Bible, and maybe one day in a series we'll, we'll have to go through that. Um, as I said, John is bringing his Gospel to us. It's unique from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, no time to go into that today, but John is definitely unique he tells unique stories about the life of Jesus. And John is very, very clear 
when you get to the last chapter, you realize, because he says it, no mystery, that he has chosen what he has chosen from the words of Jesus, the statements, the interactions that Jesus has had with people, and the, the miracles, all of it, and of course, with emphasis on his death and resurrection, so that reading the book of John, the Gospel of John, you are introduced to Jesus in a way that the Holy Spirit uh, would work with to facilitate belief in Jesus' name. It's a great gospel to read to not only come to belief in Jesus and to receive him as the Savior of the world, but also to encourage our faith in him and our belief in him. All of this is captured so beautifully in four in four statements at the very beginning of uh, the Gospel of John. John, John chapter uh, uh, 1, verses 1 to 18. It's a unit uh, called a prologue. And, and there in these four beautiful, uh, amazing statements, John uh, begins his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first statement is in John 1, 1 and verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The second statement is from chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verses 9 to 12. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was, and though the world was made through him, the word, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the fourth statement from verses 14 and 16, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Now, these statements actually pop, I think, when you add in the name of Jesus where it is intended to be Jesus. So let's do it again, but this time add Jesus uh, where it is intended to be Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with Jesus, was God, or with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through Jesus, the world did not recognize Jesus. He came to that which was his own, but Jesus' own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given.
That's a beautiful statement. I mean, unmatched, really. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And what I think is so cool about this, and there's a, I mean, it's, it's so rich, uh, you could spend a, a whole year on it, but, but I just want to point out this one thing. What I think is so cool about it is that even though Jesus is being so significantly identified and in such a beautiful way, he is not far from any of us. You see the glory and the majesty and the eternal nature of Jesus himself in these words. And I could go on, but, but you're also seeing the fact that as awesome and as transcendent as Jesus, the living word and light of the world is, he is never far from us. In fact, he is among us and he is with us. In fact, he is us. We see it right away in the way the man that we know today as John the Baptist relates to Jesus and the way that Jesus relates to John. Being buried and woven into this beautiful description of the eternal Christ is the man, John the Baptist, a, a, a person here on the planet, literally Jesus's cousin, and how he's woven into the story and the beauty of the majesty of Jesus himself. Very quickly, we're also going to meet, in addition to John, we're going to meet Andrew, we're going to meet Simon, we're going to meet Nathaniel, and we're going to meet Philip, even in the very first chapter. And they're all going to meet Jesus, and in their meeting Jesus, we, those followers of Jesus who have come after them, Jesus not being far from any of us, uh, will, will gain, and we're intended to gain, insight from the meeting and the, the interaction that these individuals have had with Jesus in John chapter 1 and through the rest of the Gospel of John, all of this is setting a pattern for those who will come later uh, who will also continue to meet Jesus because Jesus continues to come even today. That's how you met him. That's how I met him, because Jesus came to me as he came to John, as he came to Simon, as he came to Andrew, Nathaniel, and Andrew. Uh, they're going to meet him. Uh, but John, the one we know as John the Baptist, uh, because we know him as the one doing all the baptisms, uh, we can read a lot about him in the Gospel of John, he is the first one that is mentioned if you will, the, the first one to meet Jesus. And this is what we read in also John chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through John all might believe. John himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now John meets Jesus, and the others are going to meet Jesus too. Andrew, Simon, Philip, and Nathaniel. They're all going to come to meet him just as he is. They're going to meet Jesus as he is, as he is described in these first 18 verses of Jesus. So how do we meet him today? I mean, before we get, go any further, let's answer that question. How do, is it possible that we can meet Jesus today some 2,000 years later? 
Now, I could have thought of a lot of famous world figures, but I decided to pick somebody from my home country uh, only because I didn't want there to be any misunderstanding why I might have picked this person or another. So let me just talk about the very first president of the United States. His name was George Washington. Now, if I told you that George Washington came to me in 2023, in fact, he's been coming to me for the last 50 years, that George Washington came to me and that we meet regularly, you would probably have some, question, some questions for me, and you should, because I'd be saying to you, I'm not talking about interacting with George Washington's biography. I'm not talking to you about interacting with stories about George Washington or even his legacy that was left to us as American citizens, all right? I'm talking about interacting with George Washington the same way I interact with my par partner every Tuesday morning, all right, who's alive and well. You'd have some questions for you. What are you talking about, Pastor? What do you mean you meet with George Washington every week? You interact with him. You have conversations with him. You know him, uh, and he knows you. What are you talking about? Are we interacting with the resurrected Jesus as the disciples once did over, let's say, a fish breakfast and a charcoal fire? Not exactly. Jesus is alive, unlike George Washington, who is dead. Jesus is alive, but what we are doing is we are interacting with the living Jesus by his spirit. And that's how it happens. This is the impact of Jesus's resurrection. George Washington died and remained in his grave. And I'm not sure about the status of his bones, but I would imagine unless some historian or archaeologist has intervened, they're probably dust by now. But Jesus did not remain in the grave and he is not dead like George Washington. He is alive and you and I today are interacting with him by his spirit. That's how it's possible. It means when he comes to see us, to know us, we can be known by him, and the spirit is making it possible. If you're listening to this, and you are already following Jesus, and you have already met Jesus, and you've already experienced him, and like me, you continue to experience him as he comes to you by his spirit, this is all making sense, or at least it should. But if you're not following Jesus right now, this may sound utterly fantastic to you. But this is essential to the claims of our Christian faith. Jesus is not in the grave. Jesus is alive. And you can know him as you can know any other living person by his spirit. If you're not sure or if you have doubts, I only have this one admonition for you. Try it. <laughs> Try it. Come and see that Jesus has come and that he's actually been looking for you. Now, we meet Jesus, as we discover, as the lamb. It was John that would point out to us that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is how we meet Jesus, as he is, and he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as my friend Scott used to say many years ago, Jesus is, uh, to be sure, not the one who points out the sins of the world, but he's the one who takes them away. Big difference, right? Uh, Jesus doesn't say, 
Wow, there's some sin over there. Wow, that, wow the world is really in a lot of trouble. I, I, I hope somebody does something about this. Wow, we really need, the world is, is a mess. We really need some leadership here. We need someone who can solve our problems and, and make things right and bring true justice. I hope somebody steps up. Jesus didn't come to point out our troubles. He didn't come to point out our sins. He actually came to take them away. This is the Jesus that we know. This is the Jesus that we have met. What Jesus done has done actually is to create, well, I like the Bible Project guys, they call it this, we use this word, they cre- he's created a clean space in a very dirty world. Jesus, as we meet him, we discover, has created for the world those who will believe on him and receive him, a clean space in a very dirty world filled with our injustice, filled with our cruelties and our hate. John said that we meet Jesus as in a holy place. Now, not like a building, but, but, but stay with us here. What we discover in John 1, 1 to 18, is that Jesus tabernacled among us. He, he tented among us. He templed, if you could take a noun and make it a verb, He templed among us. In other words, Jesus, the living person, now becomes like a building or a place where we can come and meet with God. We can meet the living God. We don't go to a building anymore. We go to a person, and in Christ, we meet with the living God to worship, know him, and be known, and to learn and find the strength and the grace to love others as we are loved. John said that we meet Jesus as God's creative word, which is being spoken even now into our space. His creative word, the same creative word that spoke the worlds into order at the beginning, is still his creative word that is speaking into our world even today. It's a word that that speaks forgiveness a word that speaks healing, a word that turns water into wine, a word that speaks wisdom into a very foolish world and foolish spaces. This word, over and over, many, many examples of this, where God's word, this creative word, is being spoken into our world today. John said that we can encounter Jesus as we encounter the light And how do we encounter the light? The light is penetrating and dispelling the darkness. And you've done this. You've you've experienced this already. You know, you're in a dark room and, and, you know, you walk in. The lights are all out. Immediately, it looks pitch black to you. But give your eyes just a few seconds and they will be drawn immediately to the light that is coming through a crack in the door. Just where the door jam is, there's a gap there. Just a little bit of light's coming in. Isn't it amazing how quickly we find that light and that one pinprick of light begins to penetrate the darkness and to dispel the darkness? Same with the light that has come into the world, and that light is Jesus. And this is how we meet him. It not only dispels the darkness and penetrates the darkness, but it also gives off warmth and enables us to see clearly Again and again, people then and now are being invited to have a personal contact with Jesus and to recognize him as he truly is. Same invitation, same encounters, same meetups with Jesus to recognize him, to know him as he is known, as he truly is, 
and to have him know you as well. Through their stories, those who met Jesus and others who have met Jesus before us, we learn something about who Jesus is. We learn something about what he plans to accomplish through their stories. But more, we're learning something about what it means to learn from Jesus ourselves and what it means to be a witness to Jesus. More about that in a few minutes. So like I said, one of the first witnesses, one of the first individuals, people that we meet who met Jesus like this, Jesus having come to him, in this case to be baptized, is John. Sometimes known as John the Baptist. And this is what we read in John verses 19 to 28, how, how, how they not only meet, it's not really a story about they, how they meet, but kind of an account of who John is, this witness, the person Jesus has come to. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, who John is, <clears throat> who are you? He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Okay, let me just, guys, right off the, right off the, right off the top, all right? I am not the Messiah. I'm not the one I think you think you're looking for. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no, uh, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer take, to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, here's his witness. John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him a little more. And why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah? You're not the, the, the prophet. All right. I baptize with water, John said. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, he's talking about Jesus right there. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. John saw Jesus. John saw Jesus and said, that is the man who is going to take away the sins of the world. And when you think about it, I mean, sometimes we, we read these stories and, and we kind of, you know, we, we glorify the story. Don't misunderstand. I mean, the story is significant and it comes from God. My point is, is that we lose, I think, uh, the, the significance of having uh, uh, been there to look at a man and say, that man is from God, and he is the lamb who is going to take away the world's sins. That's quite a statement. And, and, but why could John do that? Because John could see that Jesus was the word, that Jesus was the light, and that Jesus was the lamb. He could see that. And John then gives witness to this. Out of his own mouth and out of his own testimony, like in a courtroom, John is able to give witness and testimony to what he sees. That in Jesus, God is speaking into our world. In Jesus, God is with us. In Jesus, light has penetrated our darkness. And in Jesus, the curse and the bondage of sin is broken. I see the man, and this is what I see. And this is my witness, my testimony. As a witness, let's break this down, because John is giving a witness, and what we're going to discover is that every follower of Jesus is intended to bring a witness to Jesus. This is what I see. I saw the man Jesus, 
and this is what I see. For John, as a witness, John was willing to tell the truth about what was happening in the world. John's witness includes telling the truth about what is happening in the world. To me, a, a good quote here, uh, a relevant uh, statement, comes from author C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites. You might have heard this before. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in that, I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see the sun, but because by the sun I see everything else. Why did I give the Lewis quote? Because John is witnessing that the sun has brought the light. And not only do I see the sun, but by the light of the sun, and this time the son of God, I can see everything else. And now that I can see, I can speak clearly and I can speak the truth. You know, our world needs for those of us, and I don't mean this arrogantly, it's not intended to be arrogant, but for those of us who have seen the truth because we've been ex had the truth exposed to us by the light, to speak out that truth and give witness to the truth that we have seen in the light of the Son of God. John, as a witness, gave his personal witness to Jesus when he said that he, that is John, was not the light. And that Seems like kind of a funny testimony, right? To stand up in court and say, all right, just let me, I want to, first of all, I want to give a testimony that I am not the light, all right? And that might not seem like much of a witness, except when we remember that John was, this man was a very powerful and influential person. Hard to capture that today, 2,000 years from now, but John was a major public figure in his country. This man has got the, he's got the attention of his entire country. Think Taylor Swift, all right? Uh, maybe that's not, not the best analogies, but this is a guy that the whole nation, his whole people group know who he is. He's that influential. He's that powerful. My point is, is that when you are that powerful and that influential, it's just one step away from being the guy that introduces the guy to being, hey, maybe I'm the guy. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not number two. Maybe I'm not the one who's preparing the way. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the way. I don't know. You know, why? Well, I've got crowds. I've got people coming here. Everybody thinks I'm awesome. They keep coming and, and, and all, all of this. Maybe I'm the guy. So, so for John to bear witness, it was significant because of who he was. I am not the Messiah. I am not the light. In fact, what he said was, I am the voice of the one calling into wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. I'm the one to prepare. John's main role, as it will be for you and I, as witnesses to Jesus in this world, in, in my world, in the world that I live in, uh, at my Starbucks that I go to, and I see the same people every day or where, as often as I go to, my coworkers, as a witness, at, like John, my role as a witness is to simply glorify and identify Jesus. I don't know about you or how that hits you, but when I read that, I thought, wow, that kind of simplifies it, doesn't it? And it kind of, kind of brings a lot of focus to it. As a witness to Jesus, I mean, it's great if I know a lot of apologetics. I'm not 
being critical of apologetics. I think it's great to be able to give a defense of our faith, to answer difficult questions about theology, to answer our critics who criticize and point out the so-called contradictions of Christianity. I get all that, and there's a, there's a place for that. But for all of us, as just humans walking through this world, I am being called to bear witness to Jesus by glorifying him in my life and with my life and pointing out and sharing his identity. This is who Jesus is. What I need to know is not to be able to answer. I don't know how to answer, have to answer every critic. What I do need to be able to do is say, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. Let me point him out to you. Uh, uh, number three, a witness for like this, like John, uh, flows out of character. In John's particular case, as it will be for us, a character that involves self-denial and humility. Self-denial and humility. John is aware that he is in the presence of greatness. And he's not afraid to say that. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can, can, can say, you know what? This person is smarter than me. This person is more talented than me. This person is going to go a lot farther than, than I'm going to be able to go. In fact, I'm going to turn this over to you because I think you're going to do better at this than I could. And it's a lot more difficult um, uh, to do this with our peers, other humans, right, uh, to practice self-denial and humility and to recognize that you are in the presence of someone who's better, stronger, smarter than you. But, but, but some of us might think, well, well, yeah, okay, maybe it's a little harder for my brother, you know, tell my, to say my brother is smarter than me, or my, literally my little brother is smarter than me, you know, practicing self-denial and humility. But if we're talking about God, Oh, that would be much easier, right? Because, you know, I mean, it's, he's God. He's Jesus. I, if Jesus were here right now, I'd, I'd be happy to say, yeah, Jesus, I think Jesus is better than me, greater than me, more than me, that's better human than I am. But you'd be surprised how many of us have a hard time recognizing the greatness of God as compared to ourselves. I don't know. I'm pretty great myself. Maybe I get to decide what's right and wrong. Maybe I get to decide where and how and when and who. Maybe I make all the, the big decisions of my life. I don't know that there'd be anybody better capable of ruling and leading me than me. Be surprised how many of us struggle recognizing the greatness of God. Here is a witness that is based in the character qualities of self-denial and humility. Absolutely. You know, this recently I was at a banquet. Um, here and where I'm in Shanghai, China right now, and it, this has been my this was my first banquet, uh, Chinese style banquet, the big you know round table with a, what we we call a lazy susan that round serving piece in the middle. You know, I I, I used to go. I've been to many of these over 20 years. I've been to many of these, and you know, there's always a protocol to this: who sits where, who sits next to who. Uh, and I'm just I, I'm not from China, and uh, I'm not from Asia. Probably, obviously, you know, so the whole cultural part of this has always been uh, just a whole learning curve for me. And I still enjoy it. It's almost it's still new. And anyway, so I'm at the banquet, right? And this is my first banquet since the pandemic. I haven't been to one like this since the pandemic kind of claimed, well, uh, at least we stopped all the lockdowns here. Anyway, 
you know, there's this cool custom where when you go to tow someone right and you offer your glass and to show respect and honor, you, you make sure that the lip of your glass comes underneath the lip of the other person's glass. I want to come underneath it, you know, to kind of like, you're greater than me. I want to show you some honor, right? So I make sure my glass, when we clink our glasses, and then, of course, the other person is supposed to kind of lower their glass below the lip of your glass, but then you lower your glass to below the lip of their, and you go down and down and down and down. You know, I haven't seen that in a long time. And that was, that's, that's just great, right? But uh, it's kind of like that, sort of. Showing honor and respect and reverence for the one who truly is great. We bear witness to Jesus Christ. And by the way, the greatness of Jesus is not in making those who are near to him small, like it might be for some of us, but in lifting us up. In comparison, we are less than a slave, but King Jesus does not leave us there. All right, there's a parallel going on here. I don't know if you knew this, but you get introduced to it at the very beginning in the interaction with Jesus, I mean, with John and these Pharisees and leaders, that at the same time that people are meeting Jesus, right? John, Philip, Andrew, I mentioned them, Simon, Nathaniel, the rest of them, all the way through the Gospel of John. And, and, and there's this, this increasing a number of people who are coming to believe and receive Jesus. As he comes to them, they receive him, and they believe in him, and they meet him and have their own unique relationship with him, life-giving, right? But at the same time, there's this other parallel track where people are meeting Jesus, but they're not believing in him, and they're not receiving him. They are experiencing the light as the others, and they are experiencing God's creative word as the others, but they are not seeing the same thing the others are seeing. Or as John wrote, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, those religious leaders went out to meet John and to see for themselves. They knew that the Messiah, their, the promised one, the anointed one, that unique individual that was going to come and, and bring the kingdom of God would baptize, right? They knew that's what he would do. And so there's a, a man out there named John baptizing people and having tremendous effect. And so these religious leaders are coming out to say, I don't know, maybe this is the person that we're waiting for. Maybe this is the, the, the special, unique, anointed leader uh, called Messiah that is going to come and bring the kingdom of God and bring God's people into freedom. I don't know. Maybe it's this man. We should go out and ask some questions to find out. And what threw them off was that John was baptizing and the Messiah was going to be baptizing, would be baptizing. And when John says, well, yeah, I'm baptizing, but I'm not the Messiah, it, it confused them. He's like, well, what do you mean? You know, you're, you're out here, you're preaching a message of repentance, turn back to God. Turn, give your life over to God, surrender to God, and you're baptizing people. What do you mean you're not the Messiah? And how's that possible? And John says, yes, I am uh, being, I am baptizing people, but my baptism is a baptism of repentance. In other words, to prepare people for the one who is yet to come. I am not that person, he says. 
I'm also telling you, he said to them, that the person you're looking for is here and is here right now. And essentially, he's asking, as he will, and this question will be continued to be asked, can't you see him? He's here right now. Can't you see him? Like the story of the man born blind, right, in John chapter 9, you know, he's literally a man who was born blind. Jesus sees him, and the man experiences healing as Jesus has come to him, and then the man sees Jesus for who he is and begins to worship him. And it's a great story because the blind man ends up seeing, but the individuals who can see, that is physically see, end up being declared blind. Now, as we look into this story, and we look into this parallel story where people are in the light but still can't see, there are two reasons why you and I can still end up in the light and still not see. One, it's either too simple to see, or two, it's too small to see. And there's a great story in the Old Testament part of the Bible where a general from Syria, uh, yeah, that, that, that Syria, the one that we read about today on the BBC, same country, just thousands of years ago now, they've been around that long, um, a, a general from Syria has experienced leprosy, right, the, the health condition of leprosy. Someone in his company has told him that there is a prophet, there is a man in the subjected nation of Israel that heals people. Uh, the theology is a little off, but, but that's what you get. That's how the story travels, right? There's a, there's a healer in Israel. He heals people of leprosy. Well, the general wants to go. In fact, uh, he gets the king of Syria to write a letter saying, I'm sending my general over. Uh, I mean, this is like the top guy, and, and he's got leprosy. I'm sending him over to meet with your prophet, and, uh, you know, and I expect for him to be healed, and there you go. Now, of course, it just, just upsets everybody, including the king of Israel, because he's like, oh, great, you know, uh, this is our natural enemy. Um, you know, if we don't, if, if this man doesn't go home healed, uh, this could be war. The, the consequences could be devastating. And so he's talking to the prophet about it and, and says, what are we going to do? And so general, the, the general does come. And Elijah, the prophet, doesn't even leave his house. He sends a servant out to meet the general and says, okay, uh, I, I, the prophet has sent me out here to tell you that you need to go to the Jordan River and you need to dip seven times and, uh, and, you'll, and, and, that's, and, and, and you'll be healed. Well, the general, whose name, by the way, is Naaman, he's, just becomes furious. It's like, dip in the river seven times? I mean, that's ridiculous. Isn't he going to come out and basically, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, isn't he going to come out and wave his hands around and, you know, shout out some incantation of some kind or do a dance or, I don't know, light something on fire? I don't know. Isn't he going to do something spectacular? I have come all the way. I've crossed the national boundary. I've come all the way to your God-forsaken country and your dirty, crummy river, and, I'm, and, and, and you're telling me to baptize him. <laughs> dip myself in your river. We've got, we've got rivers in my home country a lot better than this one. He's furious. And so he's so angry that he just says, he, he says, no, so I'm not doing it. And he leaves. He's furious. He's angry. Uh, and, you know, you can imagine not too far into the travel back home, not, 
really far uh, into it, uh, one of the servants in the company of people traveling with him says to him, you know, sir, I'm, this must have been a very timid moment uh, because he's a very powerful individual in a time where you know, there's no fair play. You know, you don't want to confront your, you want to confront your general, especially when he's angry like this. He says, you know, sir, if that prophet would have told you to do something incredibly difficult, almost impossible, crawl across a kilometer of broken glass on your hands and knees, you would have gladly done it. He gave you something simple to do. Go to that river and dip seven times. Don't miss the miracle. Don't miss the presence of the kingdom. Don't become blind to the presence of the Spirit of God because it's too simple. It's too simple. Sometimes we can get blind in the light, not blinded by the light, but blind in the light because it's too small for us to see, at least in our eyes. Those religious leaders came out, and what John was doing was familiar. He was preaching. He was baptizing. He was uh, prophetic. He was... Uh, supernatural in his presentation. I mean, there's, all the categories were there. All the, all the pieces were there, except that they were lined up, not in the same order that they would have expected them to be. And the differences were small. I mean, uh, this one came first, and then that one, instead of this one, and then that one. And those differences might have been just small, but they were, they were, they were, so, they were small enough that they thought, no, 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 we, this can't be it. This can't be it. This is going to be spectacular. If God is going to work, it's going to be spectacular. It was just too small for them to see that this is the light and this is God at work in his creative word among them. We can, we can experience small changes, and if we're not careful, we're going to wander into a big mistake. A friend of mine, a physician friend of mine, uh, told me once that, that many accidents at home, basically, or at the workplace happen. Here's how they happen. They happen when the things that we normally do are changed in a small way. We do this every day. We go through the same pattern. We come down the steps now. We walk into our kitchen here. But some, a chair gets moved. The door gets left open. Uh, you know, some small change. And often the results are catastrophic. We cannot underestimate the small changes. One of the reasons given for not receiving Jesus as the Messiah was because he came from Nazareth. They said, look it up, man. Look, is there a Bible prophecy that says the Messiah is coming from Nazareth? No, there is no Bible prophecy. So this man can't be the Messiah. What they missed was the small detail that Jesus was not born in Nazareth. He was raised in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. And there is a Bible prophecy that says that the Messiah, that the king would come from Bethlehem. Don't be blinded in the light because the small, uh, the small change or the change was too insignificant for you and me. And I, I didn't mention this, but number three, we are blinded in the light because of our pride. Pride causes spiritual blindness. It's our pride that keeps us from hearing the creative word of God that is spoken, being spoken to us today. It's our pride that keeps us blind in the light. It's our pride that keeps us from receiving Jesus when he comes to us. 
Jesus has come. It's Advent, and we're celebrating that Jesus is coming right now. He's here right now. He's at the door, and he's knocking. Jesus is come. I think of this story in John 9 again. Uh, Jesus is opening up the eyes of the blind. Perhaps what you are struggling with right now is being blind in the light. Not blinded by the light, but blinded in the light. You've missed something that you discounted as too small and insignificant. You have missed something that, that you're, you're not seeing because you said that's just too small, or you said it was too simple. Open up your heart to receive Jesus and open up your eyes to see what he sees and worship him. Lastly, you know, baptism in John's day in the first century was not for Jewish people. Uh, Jewish people practiced ritual cleansing to be, to be spiritually clean. They would literally wash their hands and do other kinds of washings. Uh, which would symbolize to them being spiritually clean. But what they did not practice was baptism. Baptism was, what some, was, was, what, was something that happened for people who were becoming Jewish, all right? Making this huge change, this threshold change from, from the Gentile world into Judaism. Here's John and Jesus offering a baptism, uh, uh, and, and, and it shook them up. And it confused them. What's going on? What kind of thing is God doing that is, the, that is the threshold into becoming something that is new and something that he wants to do with us today? What new threshold is this baptism bringing for you and for me? Jesus is here. Jesus is coming to us now. Will you receive him? Father, I thank you today. You're more than able to continue, to continue to come. You're more than able to knock at our heart's door. You are the one knocking at our heart's door. Not the stranger, but the children of God knocking at our heart's door to receive you again and again and again. To be baptized in your spirit again and again and again so that we might be filled with you to walk through yet another threshold of faith and trust in you. Father, for those of us who become absolutely blind in the light and we're becoming angry and dysfunctional, spiritually dysfunctional and resistant and resentful, Holy Spirit, we want to see. I want to, re I want to see. I want... I want my sight. I want to receive my sight. By the mercies of God, open up our eyes that we might see the King is standing before us. We pray in his name. Amen.